For those of you who don't know, I've been in the ministry, full-time Christian ministry, and I count my couple years of being bivocational as full-time. We left the Army in 2003, my wife and I, and I got a job at a Walmart distribution center uh, in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, to to plant a church of the Alliance there. And so that two years of working there, the reason we stay there, the reason I got that job was to do you know, a church plant. So we consider that part of our 12 and a half years of full-time Christian service. Um, I, I think that sometimes my 12 and a half years of ministry experience has actually hurt me. Let that sink in. I think that sometimes it has hindered me as a Christian. Now, my sermon's not about this today, but I know that many of you probably think, oh, if I had a job like Pastor Jerry where all I did was serve the Lord all the time, it would be so much easier. But can I just share with you that just like your job kind of messes with your relationship with the Lord, so does mine. You know, it's, and I'm not trying to beat you guys up and say you guys are a problem for me. That's not at all what I mean if it's coming across that way. What I'm saying is that sometimes when I sit down to read the Bible for my own edification, to hear what the Lord's saying to me, I find myself preparing a sermon all of a sudden in my head. See, my job kind of all of a sudden is boop. That's maybe when you're reading your Bible. You're sitting there reading, the next thing you know, you're thinking about work, you're thinking about your kids, you're thinking about whatever. Happens to me too. But that's not necessarily what I mean by it hurting me. Let me give you <clears throat> let me give you a, a conversation that happened, uh, the highlights of a conversation and how that happened between my wife and I on the way back from Kansas. Now, some of you, what I'm getting ready to share might seem unfathomable to you. I think most everybody knows that for 16 years, my wife has not spent Christmas with her family. That's what happens when you're in the military and then you're in the ministry. We, we sacrifice those things. This is the first time in 16 years. My daughter was less than a year old the last time. But we're coming back and we're having had this visit and we're driving back and, and I don't remember what song came on on the radio, but I turned the radio down and I began to share with my wife Maybe things that the Lord was saying to me and, and just kind of wrestling through stuff. And when 12 and a half years ago, in April of 2003, we got out, I, and I had been in ministry already at that point, about six months, seven months, something like that. Um, but we got out of the army to plant a church in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, which ended up moving to Clarksville, Tennessee, two uh, border towns right on the Tennessee-Kentucky border outside Fort Campbell. And... And we got out of the army to do this. I had no job when we decided to do this. Now, I, obviously, I ended up getting a job, but had no job when I decided to do this. Now, in the army, I was a multi-channel satellite communications technician. That job market is primarily on the east or west coast, some down in Georgia, and some up in Montana. Like, there's really no... No, I wasn't the direct TV guy, you know... <laughs> 
I was the guy who would be operating the equipment that would be sending it to your house, taking all those video signals, putting them together into one big stream, sending it to your house, making sure that it was able to be uh, decrypted by your receiver and broken apart into its separate channels and all those kind of things and all that data was there. And so I'm going to stay in an area of the country that does not have anything at all in my job field. There are no jobs. I tried to get a job installing cable. They wouldn't hire me because I was overqualified. They're like, you are going to hate this. And I said, look, I just have to put food on the table. I don't, I don't care. It's, I'm not trying to get fulfillment out of this. But they wouldn't hire me because I was overqualified. So we got out of the army to do this in an area of the country where there wasn't really a lot of good paying jobs. There were a lot of jobs, there just weren't a lot of good paying ones. So in many ways, my wife and I, we were naive. Now I say naive in quotes. Because what we believed in our heart was that God had called us to plant a church in this area of the country, and therefore, He would provide. And so we were just naive enough to believe him. I told you already that I had no job, no promise of a job when we made the decision to stay. We had no savings. I had absolutely zero theological training. I was a horrible preacher. Like, we've listened to some of those sermons. We found one on video. Wow. It was bad. I looked at my wife when we were watching this, and I said, why did people sit there? Like, it had to be the Lord, (laughs) you know. Yet we committed to leaving the army because we believed that God promised to bless us if we trusted him. During this time period, every person who came to church... And what they'd say in the army, lottie dottie, everybody. Every single person who came to church, we viewed as a potential leader in the church and the kingdom of God, even the lost people. And we invested in their lives. Our first, you know, long term drummer was a pothead that I led to the Lord at the Walmart Distribution Center while he was throwing boxes on a conveyor line and I was labeling them for him, helping do his job because I was in maintenance and so when I wasn't working on something, I could go around and help other people and I used that as a way. And so this guy was, he was as lost as a goose in a snowstorm, right, when he came to the church. The guy who ended up becoming the youth pastor was also a drug addict, a male chauvinist pig, and the worst bigot I've ever seen. And we viewed every single person who came as a potential leader for God's kingdom, and we said, what would it take to see them leading in the church? Told you I was naive in some ways, right? And over the course of seven and a half years, God took a little group of ragged people... 11 of us, counting the kids and the babies, 
and turned it into a church of between 250 and 300 meeting in three different locations. Now looking back, I sometimes think we were crazy. Yet there's something about that time of life, that time of my life that beckons me to trust God like that again. Let me let me illustrate what I mean by, by sharing like OCCA, and I'm not this is not a criticism towards us as a church at OCCA, just kind of where I'm at in life now versus where I was then. Instead of being naive in many ways, I've learned a great deal about church planning and church growth, and I know what works and what doesn't work. Right? I mean, that's part of the reason that the elders uh, extended the call to me is because, you know, this is a guy who's taken a church that is the size we are to the size that we want to be and all of these kind of things. And, you know, so we know, you know, now we're not so naive, right? Uh, when I came to OCCA, I didn't have a salary when I went to the church plan or even a job. OCCA gave me a salary package. I had a small savings. Now remember, I had no theological training. Now I've got a master's degree in ministry leadership, a bachelor's degree in Christian ministries, and I'm partway through my doctorate in strategic leadership. This is not to build me up. I'm just saying, look at the difference, right? The difference. We talked about everybody being a potential leader at, at, at Crossroads, and, and now my years of ministry have taught me that winning people to the Lord and training them to lead the church is dangerous and messy. And so we're much more careful about what to look for for leadership. And over the course of 16 months here, the church has numerically grown. The financial base has increased. And we're in the process of preparing to finish the remodeling of our building that started over 20 years ago. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, but, and, and we're going to unveil this more in the coming months to the church, but you've got to understand something, and I want you to hear this, okay? What we're looking to do to this building has nothing to do with me being here. Polly, you were here when the building was purchased, right? Was there always a plan to remodel it all the way? She's shaking her head, yes. All we're doing is following through with the plan. Jerry doesn't have a big ego that needs to be stroked. This is a plan that was put in place way before I came along. Amen? Okay. I just want everybody to know that. Because what? Because sometimes we're hearing that people are saying, well, it's just because Jerry has a big ego. No, I don't. I'm just following through with what started 20 years ago. Okay. Now, this isn't, this isn't to mention the success that I had at the other church I served at between Crossroads and OCCA. And, and However, even though we've had success at Crossroads and we got experience there and we had success at the last church and we've had success at, 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 at OCCA so far, I cannot help but wonder, have I become Cain along the way? Have I become Cain along the way? Yes, I'm talking about the Cain that you're thinking about. The Cain out of Genesis chapter 4 that murdered his brother. I cannot help but wonder, have I become Cain along the way? Now what I want you to ask yourself is during the course of your Christian walk, have you become Cain along the way? 
This is the question I'm wrestling with and I want you to wrestle with about yourself. I don't want you to wrestle about whether or not I've become Cain. I want you to wrestle with whether or not you've become Cain. I'm wrestling with whether I've become Cain. You wrestle with that for yourself. Okay? We all have to hold this up. Now, in order to understand the question I'm posing, we need to turn to the Scriptures. Our primary Scripture is out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. But we will also be referring to the, to the history in Genesis chapter 4 where we learn about Cain and Abel for the very first time. So I want you to open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. For those of you who haven't figured it out, we have slowed way down as far as how many verses we're going to get through every week at OCCA. Because each verse or two is a whole picture of faith in and of itself and we're in the the faith hall of fame in hebrews and we're going to deal with all these folks and learn from them because it says at the end of chapter 11 beginning of chapter 12 and since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off every sin and snare that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race set before us right so so we're going to look at these folks so what's hebrew what's hebrews 11 4 say It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Let's pray. Father, We come before you today and we ask that you would speak into this place. Holy Spirit, have liberty in this place. Have liberty in each one of our hearts to challenge us, to to encourage us, to rebuke us if needed, to, to edify us, to do whatever it is that you want to do in our lives so that we will become the men and women of faith that you have always intended. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. So let's briefly recap Cain and Abel's story from Genesis chapter 4. Okay? Now, Abel was a rancher. That's another name for a sheep herder. Okay? Some of you are like, ranchers are cattle. No. Ranchers can be cattle or sheep. They take care of grazing livestock. Right? So Abel was a rancher. And, and Cain was what what we called growing up a dirt farmer. Okay? He worked the ground. He, he, He planted crops. In Kansas, where I grew up in my teenage years, there were two types of farmers. There was ranchers and there was dirt farmers. And then there was guys who wanted to be ranchers but didn't have quite enough land, so they were dirt farmers too. You know? But... So, so Abel was a rancher and Cain was a, was a crop farmer or a dirt farmer. And, and it tells us in Genesis chapter 4, and this is going to be part of your homework this week for those of you who, who do that, who read the scriptures that I show at the end. Uh, Cain, over the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, it says, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions... And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but not for Cain and his offering. 
And for those of you who don't know, because of this, Cain ended up becoming very angry and bitter. And he rose up against Abel and killed him. This all came out of how out of this relationship that Abel had with God versus what Cain had with God and, and didn't have anything to do with a sibling rivalry between them. It had to do with what they were doing with God and Cain was upset about what was happening with Abel versus him. And that you'll see that in the Genesis account when you go read it this week. And God said, what? what's, your, you know, what's the issue? Why is your face falling? And God said, there's really no reason for this, Cain. Now, at first glance, it's hard to see why God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. And you might be wondering that. Why did he accept one and and reject the other one? Pastor R. Kent Hughes, and we talked about him before, he pastors a church in Wheaton, large church there, the college church in Wheaton. And uh, anyhow, he he writes of this passage in Genesis that the answer lies in the text of verse 3 and 4, right? Because whereas Cain only brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, Abel brought the best of the flock. This is R. Kent Hughes' words, okay? The firstborn of the flock and their fat portions. According to, to Dr. Hughes, Cain evidently was indifferent about his offering, but Abel was careful about his. The rabbinic commentators note that the fat and firstborn mean that Abel gave God the pick of the flock. The difference was that of a heart attitude. Cain came to God on Cain's own self-prescribed terms. But Abel came to God on God's terms. Cain's spirit was arrogant, as the subsequent story will reveal in chapter 4. The writer of Hebrews provides further insight into the brothers' hearts, according to Dr. Hughes, indicating that Abel's offering was one of faith. Cain's was not an offering of faith. He presumed to define what his sacrifice would be. He was the captain of his own heart. And God would have to take him and his offering as it was. You see in in that scripture there, that's part of the scripture out of Genesis, that I've underlined some key words. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. And listen, we don't know whose offering was bigger. I mean, for all we know, Cain could have brought an offering that would have filled up this entire room from floor to ceiling, back to front, and side to side, full of fruit of the ground, and maybe all Abel brought was two little sheep. It has nothing to do with the quantity of what was brought. It has to do with the fact that over the course of time, Cain brought an offering. Let me rephrase what that means to you because the phrase in Hebrew is very indicative of what's going on here. Basically, it means that after Cain had been working the ground for a prescribed amount of time, he saw that he had enough for himself and for his family. And so he gave God an offering out of the leftovers. Now listen. There's nothing wrong with giving God an offering out of your abundance. Unless that's all you do. 
Abel, on the other hand, gave from the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. We learn throughout the scriptures that God requires the first fruits. He talks about the first fruits, and that's Cain's wasn't the first fruits. And he requires the firstborn. The firstborn of every male that opens the womb belongs to God. Now, in the nation of Israel, God changed this up a little bit with him because instead of taking one person from each family, he said, I'm going to take the whole tribe of Levi to let all the firstborn males stay in their family inside of the other tribes of Israel. The firstborn from everything was sacred and holy and set apart unto God. If it was clean, if it was a clean animal, it was used to redeem the unclean. So sheep were considered clean animals and they were used to redeem the unclean things like donkeys and other things. Now you may say, why does God ask him to give the firstborn? Or why does he actually, without even being directly asked, brings the firstborn? Why? Because Cain trusted, or excuse me, Abel trusted God. He knew in his heart that God wanted his trust, and he came to God when he only had the promise of more. He brought God an offering. Now, some of you don't understand. You say, "Well, sure, he's, he's got he's got this flock, and he has the firstborn out of it, out of each ewe, out of every female sheep that had a baby. The first one was set apart to God." He did this for probably his whole life, okay? When he only had the promise of more, and you say, well, they're going to have more. Well, guys, my original major in college was agricultural animal science. And remember, I told you that I, that I finished out my teenage years in Kansas, and I finished out working for ranchers and dirt farmers, okay? Now, with cattle, and it's a little bit different with sheep, but with cattle, it takes a couple years to get... Uh, a calf off of a off of a heifer, and you know what? A lot of times, sickness, disease happens, and everything else, and you lose cattle. There are times when diseases sweep over whole herds and wipe them out. So this whole idea of well, he's going to get more. Don't downplay that. He had the promise of more, but anybody who's ever done any kind of ranching knows that just like with crops and the first fruits of crops, hailstorms come, tornadoes come, rains at the wrong time. You know, farmers, they spend half their life praying for it to rain and the other half praying for it to stop. Okay? And so all of these things play in. Abel, though, fully trusted the Lord by giving him the firstborn of the flock. Tons of things could have went wrong. Tons of things could have went wrong. And Cain, I think, spent his time planning and calculating. This is why I think that maybe 12 and a half years of ministry has hurt me. Because how often do I plan? Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, I'm not saying plans are bad. The Scriptures tell us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Okay? Christianity is not a religion for the non-thinker. But I think sometimes we think so much and we process so much that we talk ourselves out of doing that which God has called us to do. And I have to ask myself, have I become Cain? 
Do I, with my mind, talk myself out of taking the risks that God wants me to take in the name of wisdom? Or am I more like Abel? Am I more like who Jerry was when he first started the ministry and he only had a promise that God would bless? I had no reason to believe that Crossroads Fellowship would grow. Looking back, minus God's blessing, I have every reason to believe it should have failed. I didn't know at the time, but one out of every ten church plants in this country makes it. 90% of them fail. Out of every hundred churches that tries to start this year, within a couple of years, 90 of them will no longer exist. Everything about this said that I, I should not, we should not have success, but we trusted. Now, I want you to understand, planning and saving, like I've said, is not bad in and of itself, but Cain, with, with Cain, it had replaced his faith. Cain had given the first, had Cain given the first fruits and then brought an additional offering, it would have been a very different story. But Cain's offering was the result of careful human planning and saving, and Abel's was one of faith. Now this is where this sermon gets kind of dicey. You, some of you are going to walk away and say, well, pastor doesn't think we should save. No, I'm not saying that. Well, pastor doesn't think we should be wise. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying your planning, your wisdom, your saving, all of those things cannot nor should they override faith when God calls you to take a faith-filled risk. I believe had, had Cain brought to God an offering of the first fruits and then done some careful planning and saving and brought him an, an additional offering, uh, th- this would have been a completely different story. That this history, that this factual account of what happened at the dawn of creation would look very differently than what we have recorded in the passage. This is why I wonder if I become like Cain. I'm not suggesting that I'm like Cain in every way. And I'm not suggesting that as you wrestle with the question that you might be like Cain in every way. I mean, for instance, I tithe. I give 10% of my gross income to OCCA every single month. Right there. We just, boop, it's the first bill we pay. Listen, I give the tithe to OCCA before I pay my mortgage, before I buy groceries, before I pay my utilities, before I fix my cars, because that's what God says. He says, trust me. The tithe, by the way, is not just about your money. God uses money to teach us about tithing and giving him the first Because it's something that everybody, including lost people, understands. Right? Here's what I will make you a promise. I promise you this. You will give 10% of your income before you give him 10% of your time. Guarantee you. 
calculate up how much 10% of every day is set aside to serve God. And I'm not saying there's not people who don't do that. I'm just saying he uses the finances because it's tangible. We can touch it. We can feel it. We can see the numbers. We see the bills. We see all those things. It's like a place where faith all of a sudden gets real. And kind of our time is this abstract thing. And our hearts are these abstract ideas. So, so I'm not saying I'm like Cain in every way because I tithe as many of you do. And I even make offerings as many of you do. And, and I think though that sometimes I wonder if I'm holding back from taking the faith-filled risks because I'm busy being a wise and careful leader. I'm being wise and careful and, and I'm making sure that we're taking calculated risks and all of those things. And I wonder that sometimes that doesn't get in the way. For instance, about our stories, God led the men and women of OCCA to purchase our current building over 20 years ago and to remodel it into a fully functioning worship center. Much work has been done. We have a great building. Listen to me. There are people, churches out there, who would consider sinning to get a building like this. It's a great facility. But it's not done. Progress stopped somewhere along the way. And now we have a partially complete building. And because I'm talking to OCCA, can I be honest? Our bathrooms are kind of embarrassing. Can I get a witness? <laughs> you know, it's kind of embarrassing. And, 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 you know, God bless Amy and Wendy before her and whoever was before them about cleaning it and trying to make it look good. But, I mean, come on. There's only so much you can do with a locker room. <laughs> right? Amen? I mean, we have some wonderful storage saunas. <laughs> right? We've got a wet sauna and a dry sauna. And one is a storage closet for maintenance stuff, and the other is a storage closet for cleaning supplies. You know, I mean, it's, they're kind of embarrassing. Here's the question Do we have the faith to complete the task that God has given us two decades ago? Some of you are, are scared maybe about this and you're thinking, okay, we're going into this new year and we've heard a little bit about uh, what's going to happen to the building and all these things and we're kind of sitting back waiting for the elders to come back and tell us what's going on and we're a little nervous about the whole thing. Look, you think you're nervous. There was 40 people who went to church here when we bought this building. Can I get a witness? And it was a eight-court racquetball club with a weightlifting area upstairs. Look at what it's become off of the faith of 40 people. Amen? And God has been faithful. Do we have the faith to do this? Let me get real specific. Over the last years, we've talked about this as we prepare for it. I've told everybody that we're going to wait till we have 100% of the funding to build it. And here's what people in OCCA have come to me and started saying. Pastor, why? Why? I'm like, well, we don't want to be in debt. They said, who cares if we go in debt? This is people in the church saying this to me. Who cares if we go in debt? We went in debt when we bought the building and we paid it off. 
We went in debt when we repointed and painted, and we paid it off. Why? And I have wrestled with this, and I have wrestled with this, and I have wrestled with this, and some people are going to go back and say, well, the Old Testament says, don't borrow an interest, and don't do all these things, and da 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 And we're not in the cultural context of the Old Testament. I've wrestled with this, and, and I'm not going to make a decision on this. The church is going to make a decision on this. The voting members of OCCA, those who stood and said, I am joining the church, that's our Constitution and bylaws say that's who has that decision. Because you're owners of this. But this is the thing I've said. Am I staying back off of borrowing money or or trying to lead us to not borrow money out of my careful planning? Or is God calling us to trust Him? I, I don't know. This is the thing I'm wrestling with. Am I being Cain and holding back? Or am I being wise and doing what God's leading me to do? I'm not, I'm not sure this is what I'm wrestling with. And I'm not trying to tell you the answer today. It's what I'm wrestling with. And I want you to begin to wrestle with God with this. Now, you may think I'm crazy about this. But uh, people are saying that why don't we take a faith-filled risk? Why don't we raise part of the funding? And then go ahead and move forward with building. Now, if you don't know this, the Christian and Missionary Alliance owns the largest bank in Colorado. Or excuse me, the second largest. Wells Fargo is bigger. But the Alliance Development Fund, which is the bank that the Christian and Missionary Alliance owns, it exists only to help Christian and Missionary Alliance churches build church buildings and parsonages. It's the second largest financially bank in Colorado. And they say, well we will loan you up to three times the amount of your annual budget. Our annual budget right now is like 210 or something. They would loan us $630,000 because they believe over the course of history that they have seen God show up time and time and time and time and time and time again that three times is very doable by a church to borrow. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that we should do this, but I want you to understand this all in perspective. You'll learn about this in the coming months. What we're looking to do to the building, it's only a quarter of a million. It's almost one-third. It's slightly over one-third of what they think is safe. And so these are the things I'm wrestling with. As I was finishing the preparation for this sermon, I hear this uh, little ding on my computer, and I look, and Ellie Smith had sent me uh, an email. And she said, Pastor, and she carefully researched this. She said, Pastor, I was on the Internet, and I'm paraphrasing here. She'll correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, But she said, I was on the Internet, and and I feel like I got a message from the Lord, and he gave me... Two scriptures, one out of Isaiah chapter 43, verse 16a, I believe it was, and the other one out of Malachi 3.10b. Now, I could be wrong about the B and the A part, on which one goes to which one, but that's just basically the first part of the verse and the last part of the verse. And the one out of, out of Isaiah chapter 43, and this is for your homework this week, because I want you to wrestle with what the Lord was saying to Ellie. God says, I'm doing a new thing. And then in Malachi chapter 3, he says, test me. Test me. I say, am I Cain? Am I Abel? 
What would Cain do? What would Abel do? I don't know. I don't have the answer to this. And this is not something that, uh, as a pastor, I can make us do something. This is something we have to decide together as God leads us. But Ellie said, the Lord told me that God wants to do something big this year in our church. Now, there's going to be some of you who are tempted to despise that because Ellie, how old are you, Ellie? Because Ellie's 11. But I want to challenge you. She doesn't have the hang-ups that we have. She doesn't look at life the same way the adults look at life. She said, Pastor, I believe that this is from the Lord, and I want you to, to share this. And she said, P.S., don't tell anybody that it came from me. And I wrote back to Ellie, and I said, Ellie, I believe this is from the Lord, but I cannot share this with the congregation without your permission because this will look really fishy. Oh, somebody sent me a prophetic word. Oh, really? Who? Well, I can't tell you. Sure. Just so you know, when you come and tell me that somebody told you something and you won't tell me who, I take it with a grain of salt. And you should too when somebody tells you that somebody said something but they won't tell you who. Okay? That's why I, like, I, I believe this is from God, but I will not share it with our congregation unless you give me permission. And I did something crazy. I sent Ellie my sermon notes. I said, talk about it with your mom and dad. And she actually made a decision before she talked to her parents, but then she talked to her mom and she, made a, she reaffirmed her decision that I was supposed to share that it came from her. I've included that in the homework. Those passages, the passages that they came out of so you can read them in context and say, is God doing something here? By the way, both passages have something to do with offerings. And she had no idea what I was preaching on this week other than she knew I was going to pick up in Hebrews where I left off. She's 11. And how did she know I was finalizing the sermon slides at that very moment? I don't know, something to wrestle with. How about this on our stories? Life keeps us tired. And the weekend is a time for rest. But what about worshiping with our church? I sent out an email via Wendy, but anybody who's you know, got any kind of intelligence, knew that came from me. Wendy's not as nearly as uh, confrontational with the, with the word of the Lord as I am. Where I said that numerically our church has grown. There are well over 200 people that go to church here. But on average, since June, the end of June last year, our attendance has been about 150 Over 25% of our congregation is missing every week. And again, I'm not beating anybody up. I know there are times that we legitimately miss. I, I believe that when I went on vacation, I was legitimately gone for a legitimate reason. And that Sunday on the way back, we went to a church. It was very interesting. Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. We tried to go to this Indie Alliance Church, which... I think we probably did better by the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church because I found out afterwards it's a church plant that's kind of weird. But um, anyway, uh, <clears throat> but very interesting. And we always say, well, what, you know, try to learn something from them. My daughter's got lots of stories about what we learned there. And um, it was just, it was kind of interesting. I'm pretty sure he thought I was lost. 
Because I'm pretty sure the whole message changed to win me to Jesus. Now, I could be wrong. And, I, and I, the Lord said, really? And so I started praying for one of the other 20 people who was there that he knew and had known for a very long time. Maybe they were lost. But it was a salvation message. But anyhow, we, we have this weekend mentality. Getting back to my point. We have this weekend mentality uh, versus Sunday being the first day of the week. I mean, I'm tired. You know, I get to the week. I get through my work week and I'm tired and I just need to rest. Great. That's what Saturday's for. Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the Lord's day. And Jesus says, give him that day. Listen. Matt and I talked about this on New Year's Eve and we were sharing with one another and it is hard to get up and come to worship service. Even for me. The Sunday that I went on vacation after service, I was up till 1 a.m., had to get up at 6.30 and then I drove straight through and got to Kansas at 4.30 the next morning. It is rough. But God says, do you trust me? Will you trust me that I will redeem the time that you spend worshiping? And some of you say, Pastor, you're just saying that because you're the pastor and you have to. No, 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 no. Listen, I went to church and worshiped with the body of Christ every single week, week in and week out before I was a preacher. Because I like it. And if I stopped being a preacher today, I'd be there every single week. I'm asking you, like I said in the email, I'm asking you. And by the way, I think this is less than what I should be asking for. But I'm asking you, will you commit to three out of four Sundays? Wrestle with it this way, because you say, well, who are you talking about? Whoever the Lord's convicting, maybe. If I attended worship the way you attend worship, would you be okay with me being your pastor? And if your answer is no, would you commit at this first Sunday of the year, to give the Lord the first day of the week, week in and week out. And if your answer is yes, you would let me be your pastor because you are here, would you pray that you'll continue in that commitment? Because let me just be honest with you. I know people who've been there faithfully, week in and week out over the years, and then something happens and life comes in and wrecks everything, and the next thing you know, you're off over here and you're like, whoa, what happened? So you you commit yourself and then to pray for one another. Amen? I mean, we come together to worship and to edify one another, to strengthen one another, to build one another up. And, And I think sometimes we have this consumer mentality of, well, I'm doing pretty good, so I don't need to go. Uh, on those weeks, you need to be here because Matt's not doing so good or Jerry's not doing so good or Kelly's not doing so good or Wendy's not doing so good. And some people have the mentality of, man, I'm really getting crushed. I don't want to go in there and look anybody in the face. Holy smokes, people, if we're getting beat down, shouldn't we come here and get bandaged up and mended and loved on and cared about and strengthened and put, and put right again so that we don't die in our faith? What would Cain do? I think Cain would calculate at the end of the week if he had enough energy to go. What would Abel do? I think Abel would give the first day of the week to the Lord. What are we going to do? What about our material tithes and offerings? Do you and I have the faith to trust God with our material wealth through our faithful tithes and offerings? 
Listen, Genesis 14.20 is the first use of the word tithe that we translate tithe in the, in the Bible. It's the Hebrew word masera. It literally means one-tenth. Abraham gives a tithe of everything to Melchizedek. We've learned in the book of Hebrews that Melchizedek, I believe, is Jesus, a pre-occurrence of Christ. But if not, he was definitely a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And by the way, there's no law on tithing at this point. The law has not yet been given. And Abraham gives him a tithe for the temple service. Ah, uh, no, there was no temple. For the service of the tabernacle. No, there was no tabernacle. Because he agreed with the ministry that Melchizedek was doing. No, he didn't really know Melchizedek. He didn't decide whether or not he liked what Melchizedek was doing or not. He said, God, you call for this in my heart and I trust you and I give you a tenth of this, of everything. Do you trust the Lord to do that with your material things? Now understand, this is not a call for money. Giving in the 16 months that I've been here, actually in the first calendar, in the first fiscal year that I was here, from September 1st through the end of August, giving had gone up 26.6% since I've been here. That's huge. We're not in a financial bind right now. This isn't me crying out saying, we need money. We need money. Help us. We need money. I'm asking you, do you trust God? Do you want God to bless you? By your trust. Trust Him. You think it's me trying to manipulate you? Right on there, tithe test. On your memo. And if you need it back, we'll give it back. Every dime of it. I don't care about your money. I care about your heart. I care about whether or not you trust the Lord. I have a little short, story, very short story I want to share about a guy who was part of a church that I had pastored. Um, he he was when I and why I brought up this whole about whether or not I like it or not. He, before I became his pastor, was part of a church where he didn't agree with what was going on. And so he withheld his tithe and he told the pastor, I'm not going to give my money to the church until you fix this. Now, he and I, and he never could, we, he and I talked about this a bunch when he was a part of the church that I was pastoring, and he never could understand it. And one day we were talking and the Lord said, he thinks everything's going pretty good here right now. So ask him if he thinks that. And I said, okay. I said, do you think everything's going pretty good here right now? Yeah. You generally agree with the direction we're headed as a church? Yes. I said, okay. If somebody came and said to you, I don't agree with where Pastor Jerry's going with the church. I don't agree with where the elders are going with the church. And I'm going to withhold my tithe until they change it. I said, you as a person who is faithful to this church... Would you want one person to be able to manipulate me with their money? Or would you want me to take a biblical stand and say, I don't care about your money, keep it? He said, not to, not to bend to that. That's inappropriate. And I said, have you considered? He goes, oh, 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 that's what I was doing. And I said, yeah, that's what you were doing. I wasn't part of the church when he was doing that. It was years before I knew him that he was doing that. I care about his heart. I care about your heart. 
Your tithes and offerings are not about what OCCA or any ministry that, or any church that you're part of is doing for you. It's about do you trust God? Now, I don't want to amen if you agree. I just want to amen if you understand what I'm saying. Amen? amen. Okay. So we already know what Cain did. Cain calculated and planned, and he didn't trust with his material wealth. And we already know what Abel did. What should we do? My last point. Here's something crazy. Would we plant a church if God asked us? I mean, what if God asked us to plant a church in the remote parts of Seneca? The remote parts of Seneca, by the way, is Angie and Brian's backyard. <laughs> no. Or, or what if God asked us to plant a church, you know, in Knox? Would we say yes or would we say no? Would we look and go, but we're in the midst of all of this building and expansion and doing all these things. How could we possibly take a hundred people and send them to Knox to start a church over there? How could we possibly do that? We'll go under. We can't do this. Would we, would we trust God? Would we trust Him so much that we sat back and looked and said, who's our best people? Let's send our best or would we carefully plan and calculate to make sure that we kept the best and sent the scraps? Now, this story may seem far-fetched, and I'm going to go a little over time, and if you've got to leave, take off. It's okay. okay. But Kelly Clark is a friendly acquaintance of mine. For those of you who don't know who Kelly Clark is, not Kelly Clarkson, the singer. <laughs> Kelly Clark, the best women's snowboarder for the half pipe in the world. The first woman to ever land a 1080 in a half pipe competition. Multiple Olympic medalists won the gold in Salt Lake, all of this stuff. She was part of a church in Mammoth, California. And as part of this Lighthouse Ministries in Mammoth, California, they were at a prayer meeting one night. This is after she got saved. She's been a believer for a couple of years. The Lord comes to her and, 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 says that the, and comes to the church and says to the church, one word, Wanaka. And they're like, Wanaka? They're at this prayer meeting and this word Wanaka just keeps coming up. Long story short, they can't figure out what it is. They believe in tongues, but they're like, nobody's got an interpretation. So they said, this must be a word from a known language. Let's figure this out. So they begin to look and somebody finds out that there's a town in New Zealand called Wanaka. And now this church is in Mammoth, California. And they said, we believe God is calling us to plant a daughter church in Wanaka, New Zealand. They were, Mammoth is a ski resort town. Wanaka was a ski resort town except for the ski resort there was dilapidated, running down and falling apart. And Kelly believed that God was calling her to be a key player in this church plant. And so she committed, God, I'll do it. But you're going to have to open the doors because she was getting ready for the Torino Olympics. And she had her contract with Burton for their sponsorship. And so she had to go train where they told her to go train. And so their church is moving forward. They're trying to secure property in Wanaka. Oh, by the way, right as this happened, New Zealand declared the national religion atheism. So they're praying 
as a church, and they find this old rundown ski lodge, and they buy it to plant a church out of, and all these things, and they're trying to work it all out to go. And Burton calls Kelly and says, Kelly, we've got some news that you might be upset with. And she said, what? And they didn't know what was going on with her at her church. They just figured she's probably not going to be happy. None of these kids are going to be happy that are doing this. See, because they train year-round. So in our winter, they're in the northern hemisphere. But in our summer, they're in the southern hemisphere. They said, well, we've changed where we're going to train this summer. She said, oh, really? Where? said, well, so-and-so, who, by the way, is the best half-pipe groomer, grooms all of the pro half-pipes, shapes them and keeps them in shape and all of that. He's bought an old dilapidated ski resort. You see where I'm going with this, don't you? And and he wants to turn it into the place that Olympic athletes come and train in in the wintertime for the Southern Hemisphere. And you're probably not going to be happy with it, but it's in Wanaka, New Zealand. Do we trust God like that? I mean, only God. Their church had bought this rundown ski lodge right before they made the announcement that this guy had bought the resort. And prices skyrocketed and there's no way they could have touched it or anything in the town. Do we trust God? Like that? Or are we going to stand back and wait and see if we have enough? I, I don't know what God is, is saying to you today about what you're supposed to do in the coming year. I don't know if you're supposed to commit to come three out of four Sundays or four out of four. I don't know if you're supposed to tithe before you pay the rest of your bills or, or wait and, and see. Maybe I'm being sarcastic. I don't know. I don't know if you're supposed to trust the Lord with something or whether or not you're supposed to try to figure out how to do it on your own. I mean, don't take my word for it. Take His. See, the problem with Cain's offering versus Abel's offering is Abel's was based out of trust and Cain's was not. Do you trust Him? Homework for this week. Monday, Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Tuesday, Genesis 4, 8 through 16. Wednesday, Malachi 3, 6 through 12. Thank Ellie for that. Thursday, Isaiah 43, 16 through 21. Thank Ellie for that. Friday, Luke 21, 1 through 4. And Saturday, Proverbs 3, 5 through 10. Ask the Lord what He's doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that you are a good and a holy God and that you ask us to trust you. And we ask that you would have your way with each one of us. That everything that we do would bring you glory and bring you honor. Speak to us about the commitments that you want us to make in the upcoming years. Especially this year. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said.